God, thank you. God, thank you that you are the saviour of the world. Thank you, God, that you've chosen to be God and that we don't have to be. God, thank you that you're here with us in our midst this morning. God, we thank you for the, the sweet, sweet sense of your presence in this room this morning. God, we thank you for your presence in our lives, which changes everything for us. And that we get to live out this life under your lordship, which just takes all that pressure away from us. We don't need to be lord of our own life because you are. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for moving first towards us. And God, we are just so grateful. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a seat. Welcome to church. Just like to say it's probably really bad form for the worship team to have the preacher actually get a little bit emotional right before they got up. But anyway, uh, we can work with that. Emotion is good. All right, so I'm speaking to you unexpectedly this morning because Pastor Brad and Alana are quite unwell, so we can be uh, lifting them up in prayer um, today and during the week as well. So um, I know that you guys will all be super gracious because you love me. You're leaning towards me and you love me. I know you do. So um, anyway, so um, I'm going to be speaking mostly about our mission, um, uh, the sense of mission that we need to kind of be on. So if you can kind of park that idea in the back of your head and, and, and actually maybe have it at the front, let it be a filter <laughs> um, for everything that I'm going to say and um, yeah, just try and hear it a bit like that. Um, so we've just finished a great series on doubting God, which was asking some of the hard questions that, that come up in our lives and that people will throw at us sometimes. So if you've missed that series, I recommend that you go back over that. Um, and then we're about to move into the Sermon on the Mount series, which is what this was supposed to be, but, but it's not. So I said to somebody this morning, I'm like the little dash in between those two things, um, I'm, I'm not really anything. And you, you could actually rub this out and no harm will have been done. So um, I'm just joking. It's going to be okay. Um, so in that Doubting God series, we uh, heard from Brad a couple of weeks ago. Um, he just gave some great and helpful um, pictures of how different God is to us. And so if you missed that one, so two weeks ago, go back and listen to that one. It was really helpful to me. I've actually um, spent a lot of time sort of thinking about some of these apologetics type issues. And I actually found Brad's sermon really helpful. Um, so make sure you do that. And last week, Pastor Lauren um, spoke in a really helpful and thoughtful way about um, the fact that wise people ask good questions that they want to know the answer to. Is that right? Is that what you said? Something like that. Yeah. Um, so, again, go back and listen to that. If you, if you missed it, um, you can check it out online and those sermons are up there ready. Um, so in this new series that Brad is going to hopefully be back in for, for next week, um, the Sermon on the Mount series, um, I'm not sure exactly where he's going to go with that, but there will be some scriptures a little bit like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And okay, so you've got your filter on the front about mission, right? So I'm going to ask you to park those scriptures in the back a little bit and we'll come back to those in a while. Um, so we're going to do a little bit of brain science together. Is that okay? Um, a brain scientist? I am definitely not. 
Um, but anyway, I've learned some things uh, just uh, in the recent past from the work of um, Dr. Ian McGilchrist. So you can check him out. He has a lot to say about how the brain works. And I just was um, captivated by what he said and, and the difference that it really makes. So um, we'll fly through this brain science bit and there, there will be a reason for it, I promise you. So... Basically, his ideas are about the two different hemispheres of the brain and how, how they kind of work together. And You need both, you need, and, and they are both working all the time. I'm not saying that you park one and use the other and then you park that one and use the other. You're always using both sides of your brain. Um, and it used to be thought that, uh, that the right hemisphere of your brain was not very important. And he says that when he studied to be a doctor, which is just one of his many degrees that he's got, um, they basically didn't really talk about the right hemisphere because they thought that everything important was done by the left hemisphere and that that was all that they needed to study. Uh, but it's now known that that's not accurate and that the right hemisphere is the one that is the, the one that controls the big thinking. It, it's kind of the boss, if you like, and then the left, left hemisphere works under the control of the right hemisphere. Um, as an example, if you have a stroke in your left hemisphere or a brain injury in your left, I can't even say left, on that side of your brain, um, it, it will probably result in loss of function. So you might not be able to use your hand or your leg or you might use the f lose the physical capacity to, to speak. Um, but basically your world still makes sense to you. You can still make sense of the things that are going on around you. You can still think, you can still reason um, and you can understand things like humour and irony. So you can kind of get where the right hemisphere is, is working there. Um, but if you, if you lo um, lose capacity in the right hemisphere, you lose that capacity to reason, your world may become incomprehensible to you, even though you still have a lot more of your function uh, that you can do. Uh, the left hemisphere likes to put things in categories and is very literal. The right hemisphere likes to dwell on uniqueness, metaphor, embodiment, what it means to be us, or what it means that we are at all, like... I mean, that's, if you're starting to think down that road now, your right hemisphere is, is lighting up. Um, those are some really big questions that you can sit and ponder for a while. Like, what, what does it mean that we're even here at all? Um, uh, and one, uh, some, something that somebody else said a while ago was um, just the fact that this three pounds of brain matter... Um, that exists in this tiny little planet that is just a, a speck in all of the everything that we we know, that this three pounds of grey matter can think and understand about all of the stuff that we know, all of the universe. Like that just should boggle your mind. And again, your right hemisphere is is working hard right now. Anyway, that's just a freebie. Um, so it's not to say that one hemisphere is more important than the other because they aren't, as I said, we, both, we need them both working together. Um, but the, the right hemisphere is the one who is being mindful and keeping everything together and the left hemisphere is kind of carrying out the tasks under it. I promise we're getting somewhere. Um, so just, just as an, anal an analogy, um, in times where you didn't get to go to Coles for your lunch, when, when you were hunting for your own food, 
um, your left hemisphere was the one that was like identifying what the food was and, and, and trying to get that thing. And the right hemisphere was holding everything else together so that while you were trying to get your lunch, you didn't become somebody else's. Right, that's, that's how they work together. So that said, the, the right needs to be the boss with the left carrying out the tasks dicta dictated by it. Um, and looking back in history, you can see three times in societies in Greece and Rome where uh, this right hemisphere thinking uh, was leading the society and, and they were operating in a really uh, good synergy between the right and the left. So the right thinking, that big picture thinking, was driving society and, and the left thinking, the, the tasks and the details and all that, that fine focus stuff was being done by the left. Um, they were into big visionary planning and that was all led by the right brain. But then these same societies over time started to devolve into the left taking more of the charge, which it's not supposed to do, um, so that all of that big picture thinking and visionary sort of thinking is lost. And those societies began to collapse and that happened again and again. So that's the end of Dr Ian McGilchrist now. I'm, it's back to me. Um, so why is this important? You might say, Jack, well, that's interesting and that's fun for you to have kind of looked into that. But why is this important? Uh, it just seems to me that this is happening now. Uh, that whole um, left side of the brain taking over, uh, leading in areas where it shouldn't be. Um, and we're getting more and more focused as a society on the details, the rules, um, all of that type of thing. Sort of short-term, you know, what's right in front of me type thinking um, and we're losing some of that big picture thinking. We're very into who's right and who's wrong. Um, maybe even who's right and who's writer. Um, that has become a real thing uh, in recent history. And I was thinking, who is, who is building uh, cathedrals today? Who, who is doing that kind of thinking? Who's planning cathedrals and building them? And I heard Louis Giglio say this about cathedrals once. Like, we, we have a lot of churches that are, you know, this, this is a really functional church. It works really, really well as a building. It's very functional. Um, but when you walk into a cathedral, um, if you've been into cathedrals like St Paul's, as I have, when you walk in, you just go wow, you just look up yeah, and you just marvel at it in a way that you probably won't when you walk into this building. You might go, cool, this is bigger than I thought it would be, but you're not going to look up and just marvel at the beauty and the insight and the, the foresight of the people who planned and built this building. I think, and I think Louis Giglio's point is that we need that. We actually need that. We need to be able to walk into a space and just marvel uh, that somebody thought this up, that they invested in it. Because cathedral builders, when they started building, uh, those people would never have seen it to completion, that they would have died out and the next generation would have, um, you know, finished that cathedral and got to enjoy it. But the people who started it were investing in the future. Um, for something that they were never going to see completed. Who's building for future generations now? Um, our world leaders aren't doing it. Our government's not doing it. It's fairly sort of short-term, like I said. Who's doing noble things now? 
I think we see little pockets of this and over the last few years you've, you've seen some people working in uh, jobs that, that they were um, sacrificing themselves for the good of others, you know. You can think of um, frontline workers uh, that were not able to stop going to work or they had to keep putting themselves in danger for the, for the good of other people. And another little story out of England, that um, apparently all the doctors that were in the fourth year of their medical degree uh, when the pandemic hit they got this letter and said um, you are now a qualified doctor and we expect to see you in ED on Monday morning so they never got the you know the the privilege I guess of finishing their degree they were suddenly a doctor and they were just thrust into that Um, and so yeah so people like that were sacrificing themselves for for the good of every other person so talking about noble people um where are the Hugh Latimers of society now? Now, I'll tell you about Hugh Latimer if you don't know him. Um, he was the Bishop of Worcester at the time of the Reformation. So, um, And his friend Ridley was the Bishop of London at that time too. And they become part of the Oxford Martyrs. There were three of them. And they were actually burned at the stake for what they believed in. So there's like a little monument in uh, Oxford to, to these guys. Um, so they, they had the, the, the stake that they were strapped to and as they were being lit, I mean, it just, yeah, it, you can't comprehend what the, they, they were going through, but they would not recant at all. Um, as they were being lit, this is what um, Hugh Latimer said. Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Fancy saying that when you were like you were starting to be on fire down there and you were saying this, that you were lighting a candle in England that would never be put out because of your faith. He was not offended by what happened to him. Uh, We get offended, don't we? Um, But he was not offended by what he had to go through for his faith because he knew that it wasn't all about him. He knew that what he was doing was for the good of others and that he was sharing his faith in the way that he only could. As Christians, I think, believing that God loves us completely, that he died for us and that we will spend eternity with him, the issues of our life shouldn't be the most important thing, should they? Not saying that these things aren't important, they are important to us, but they should not be the most important thing to us. So when things kind of start to go bad, uh, we just throw things away and say, I want something better, I, I need to be happy, I need to have pleasure in my life. Um, even things like whether we die or not, and that's a hard one, um, but whether we die or not should not be the most important thing. Whether we die apart from God should be the most important thing. I think as Christians it's part of our role to remind society about these big thinking ideas, to get our eyes up off the tasks and keep the big picture in mind. Our faith is very right brain. It's not so concerned with the details and rules and in fact it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And when you you sing the words of those songs that we just sang, actually what Jesus did for us doesn't make a lot of practical sense and it shouldn't. And if it isn't us, if it isn't Christians who are encouraging society to 
like regain this big picture thinking, who else is going to do it? You can just about feel the frustration of Jesus in this area when he dealt with Jewish leaders. They were so focused on the details and often the wrong details that they were missing the point completely. Um, Just an example of that is is when he healed on the Sabbath, which he did frequently. Um, What they focused on was that he'd broken a little rule of the Sabbath. They didn't focus on the fact that he'd healed somebody. It's just... just wrong it's off um and yeah your whole sense of that is just wrong and you get a real sense of that from how he spoke to those leaders he was he's like saying don't worry about those things so much um don't you see who god is don't you see these people who are broken and wounded and poor um don't you see how much they need to see and feel god's love for them worry about that worry about that more than the little details and the rules So back to our mission, we need to be a voice and a presence in society and how do we do that? What does it look like? I've got some scriptures for you which we can have up please. So the first one is Romans 10, 13 to 15 and it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So it's us. We're sent. uh, We need to go. We need to tell. We need to show. We need to um, encourage people towards towards faith and towards this big picture thinking. And the next scripture is in Isaiah 58. And um, he's just been talking about the kind of fast... Uh, that they were doing, they were they were um, they were fasting. They were kind of going through the motions. They were doing the things that were required of them, but they weren't doing it with the right heart. They weren't doing it with the right type of thinking. Um, and in verse six, it uh, starts to talk about the kind of fasting, the offering that God really wants to have. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke? to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. That's one of my favourite scriptures, especially that little end bit, the the repairer of walls and the restorer of of cities, it says in another version. So just that that sense that that we're we're the ones who are called into that that space um, to 
you know, to reach out to those people, the, the, you know, the poor and the broken and the hungry, um, and to kind of not only have that kind of vision for ourselves, but to, to, to be encouraging society to have that heart as well. Um, so back to that Sermon on the Mount, you know, the uh, blessed are the poor and blessed are those who mourn. Um, I'd like to just um, take you on a little journey with me. So um, we're sort of getting involved with something called Empowered Faith Communities and um, a few of us have been engaging with this uh, ministry, I guess, uh, for a while now. Um, and it is exactly what it says. It is an, an empowered faith community. So it's a, a community where um, a, a lot of broken people are invited into this community. Just anyone, just how they are, are invited to come in. And they are empowered to run that community, to, to have roles in the community, to minister to each other, to reach out to their friends who are also broken um, in so many ways. And, and it is incredibly effective because they are exactly the right people to be doing that job. So um, Steve and I had the chance to go down to an, an empowered faith community, um, which is where this all came out of, in Rosebud. And uh, it... it I've never experienced anything like what happened down there. I've never felt something like that. And, and it's hard to describe because you had to feel it, but I'll do, I'll do my best. Um, so, so they gather around a meal uh, and people are welcome to come. There, there are a lot of homeless people living very obviously around the church at Rosebud. Um, they, uh, they, a lot of them are choosing to be homeless because living in a house just doesn't work for them for whatever reason like having to like pay bills and like be over all of that type of thing it just does not work uh, and so they uh, get donated swags and that type of thing and they live on the foreshore in groups and they're quite social with each other and um once a year when the rich people are coming from Melbourne to have their holidays down there, this stuff all gets just taken away. Um, their donated swags that were their home are just moved away and gone um, and they need to start again because it, the rich people don't want to see this right when they're on their holidays. They don't want to have to deal with the fact uh, that there are people who are living like this who are in such brokenness and such need. So anyway, that's that's one issue. Um, and then one, when the rich people have gone away, they need to start again and get swags again. Anyway, um, so these people come in and sit around a meal, uh, which is perhaps their only meal of the week where they get to sit around a table and they get served. They get community groups to come in and kind of share the load. So I, I like that about it too. Um, and everyone sits around the table. So there are people from all walks of life around the table. There, there are leaders there who are um, the spiritual parents, if you like. Uh, and there are some others who um, have been on the journey a little bit longer um, and they came from this terribly broken situation. But now, um, because they've been in this loving, accepting community for a while, they've actually developed some skills and they can actually lead. Um, and while we were there, there was um, a lady who was clearly quite broken still. There was still a lot of evidence of the life that she'd lived about her. Um, but she led um, a devotion before the, me the meal, quite a significant one. Um, and she led it really well. She didn't have notes um, and she just spoke from our heart, spoke from the Bible. It was really good. 
had the meal, everyone sat around together. Um, people even who looked like they had their life a bit more together um, had been struggling with PTSD. They were actually quite dysfunctional. Um, anyway, so this was just a really nice time. Uh, I have to say there were a lot of aromas in that room. Um, and for a Brit like me who was raised in a house with parents with a real germophobic kind of thing like that, Oh, there's the struggle. Um, I'm, I'm honest about that. I have a heart for these these people, but uh, there there is a part of me that that doesn't do that really easily. It's not super easy for me. Um, so I love God's sense of humour there. Thanks for that. Um, at one point during the evening, one of one of the fairly well-to-do looking leaders uh, was under the the kind of table where this lady was sitting, and um, I think that was. Um, she was unfortunately um, just very uh, dishevelled still. Um, she was wearing clothes that were half worn away. They were so old, like the sleeves were all gone. Um, it used to be pink, but we're sort of pink and black now. Um, you know, I'm just trying to paint you a little picture of what I saw. Um, but anyway, this guy was under the table picking up the food uh, that she dropped out of her mouth because she was, she was very affected um, by the life that she had lived and, and she, like eating was kind of a random thing for her. It was all going everywhere. Um, but this guy, down on his hands and knees, picking up the food that had fallen out of her mouth, um, just, yeah. So that was the meal. Then afterwards, we moved across and it became a church service for them. Um, I need to keep an eye on the time. Um, it, um, yeah, it became their church service. So again, this lady led... Um, led the message they they uh, there was a time of praise and worship um uh, that that song every day every day it's you i live for every day that that song was the first song that they sang and they they were passionate in their worship and singing that they lived every day for god <laughs> um it was incredible um i think i might have cried a couple of times during the evening but anyway that was definitely one of them um and then just uh, we sat around and, and they encouraged one another. They encouraged one another in a way that I have never seen before or experienced. Everybody that spoke um, about anything, somebody else would encourage them for what they'd said and somebody else would then jump up and say, oh, I'd like to pray for you. Like This just went on for like two hours um, of them encouraging one another and praying for one another like that in a really authentic way. Um, they interviewed me because um, as the church service, we were the guest um, guest people. Uh, anyway, um, and so one of the questions, so one of the, one of the people interviewed me and one of the questions that he asked was, um, tell me about your mum and dad. So for those of you who don't know, my mum and dad have passed away in the last two years, so it's been like a difficult journey. And like, So he asked me this question and I was like, oh, um, all right. So I said, well, I had a really nice mum and dad um, and uh, they were lovely, um, but they've both just recently passed away, so it's been a sad time for me. And anyway, so it's like, oh. And one of the ladies calls out from, like, I've just met. She says, we're your family now, we love you. We'll be your family now. And she meant it, absolutely meant it. Um, oh. Anyway, so Empowered Faith Communities is something that is big on my heart because we have people, um, our experience or our expression rather of Empowered Faith Communities might not be that hard 
I don't think we have um, the number of homeless people living around here as what they do there. It's certainly not as obvious. Um, but our expression of empowered faith communities might look different to theirs, but it's the heart of it is what we need to get. Um, that's, that's the thing that we can borrow from them. And that's what we're hoping to learn. It was just an extraordinary... Like we talk about it all the time, about being open and compassionate and welcoming and loving. But that is something extraordinary that I saw that day. Um, and just um, coincidentally, maybe, um, Rach Storer shared something with me the other day that was along a similar line. And this guy was talking about... Uh, a similar ministry and they were talking about giving people second chances and how many second chances do people need to have. Well, those people there in Rosebud, they needed second chances every week. Um, but this, this guy's point was that some people have had such a broken life, they come from such a broken place, that you're not giving them a second chance. What you're giving them is their first chance because they've never had one before. Like genuinely, the life that some people have had, they did not have a chance, but now you're going to give them one. I could talk about that for a while, um, but we've got a picnic to get to. So, um, so I really, I really think that there is uh, a lot that we can take from that and that we can use in, in our expression of being a faith community, of being a church and I really think that if we keep our thinking straight, if we keep this right hemisphere of ours, um, letting it take the lead and making the left follow, then everything else will just make sense and fall into place. And churches that are doing that, faith communities that are doing that, um, people come alongside and they want to sow into that because they can, they can see the value of it. They can know um, that you're about God's mission um, certainly heard of churches where that has happened and all of the other things will fall into place too. You start being a, a church that is on the front foot in some of these areas then your rosters will fill in like, like they'll just fill in because people want to be on that mission. They want to engage with that because they can see the value of it. So as Christians we need to be casting a vision of the future that captures people's hearts again, a vision that is beautiful, huge, compelling, something that is more compelling than us having all our needs met. We need to show them God. When we focus on the big things that matter to God, the spiritual things, the people, the love, the compassion, all those other details will fall into, their, into place, into their rightful place to support that big picture thinking, which is God's plan for the redemption of mankind. I'm not saying that we're terrible at this, because I don't think we are. I think we're actually really good at this. But we can just enlarge our thinking. We can have a bigger picture about what God is about and what he's calling us into. We've got many heroes sitting in this room people who are living more frugally than they really need to so that they can use their money to sow into the lives of other people, into, the, into missions, um, and they're not living in the house that they could afford to live in. They're living in a smaller house so that they have money that is free and available to sow into these missions. We have people clearly on mission in their community where they live 
using their time, their resources, whatever they have to influence people for God. And they'll stay there as long as they're needed to. We are people sacrificing their time, their energy, their resources because they are sold out 100% on Team Jesus and they know that this is the most important thing. We have people here, I was here on, on Friday morning, there was a whole tribe of, of people here who were meant to be having their day off but they were cleaning the church um, and apparently enjoying it so that was good to see. Um, our young ones on a Friday night give up their Friday night every week to to be here, to make the place available um, to young people in our community and, and to introduce them to God, to show them what faith is like. So many examples. Our Out for Lunch crew uh, give up a whole day putting on Out for Lunch, which is on this week, incidentally. Um, and they do it happily and they're, they're just engaging with the community in a really special way on that day. We're nearly there, guys. That song, All Hail King Jesus, I mean, the first time we sang that, I didn't love it because it's quite a hard song to sing, especially the first bit, and I really appreciate Kristen sticking with it this morning. She said, oh, I'm going to swap that out, and I went, no, you're not, it's in my notes. (laughs) Uh, We have to keep going with that one. Anyway, uh, just the, the words that are in there is very right brain. Uh, you try singing that with the left side of your brain only and have it all kind of make sense. It can't. You can't do it. Um, so as the band comes back up, I just want to put up that last couple of um, little verses there and we are going to look at that. I don't know whether you noticed these words when you sang them before, but this is all right brain thinking. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense that... In one miraculous breath, we're forever changed. What is that? That's what God does for us. How can it be that simple for us? How can it be that easy for us? But you know it's right. You feel it's right because you know how much God loves you. You're in a relationship with God, or I'm assuming you are. That that is true. It doesn't make sense, but it's right. So let's just look through all of those uh, lyrics. There was a moment when the sky lit up, like park your left brain, get all right brain here. Like don't be thinking about the picnic and that you haven't brought anything. You can sort that out afterwards, but go all right brain. Let this paint a picture for you. There was a moment when the sky lit up, a flash of light breaking through. When all was lost, he crossed eternity. The king of life was on the move. What is that? That's God loving us. That's God coming towards us. For in a dark, cold tomb where our Lord was laid, one miraculous breath and we're forever changed. Let's let our, let, let's let our right brains govern us. Let your right brain influence you. Get your right brain being in charge of your life. Ponder some of these big things. Let your right brain go for it. Sit there and ponder. And then think, how can we be on mission in our community? How can... We're not going to change the whole world, but we can change the world around us by the way that we process our lives, by the way that we process um, our thinking, 
by the things that we focus on and consider to be important and by the way that we kind of communicate that to everyone else. Just ask you to stand and we'll pray as we um, just take this this next song, which we're going to sing again, and just uh, sing it right brain. Suspend your reason if you need to and and just let this song uh, minister to you. God, we thank you. We thank you that that you love us that much. We thank you that the, the things that don't make sense to the world, we just know they're right because of the way that you love us, the way that you have our eternities secured. God, we thank you that it was that simple that that one miraculous breath when Jesus breathed again that changed everything for us and it's forever changed God we thank you for this morning God I, I pray that uh, the words that I've shared will um, will find a place to sit in people's hearts that it will um, affect the way that we all go about our week the conversations that we have, the relationships that we make with those around us and our our heart to see broken and lost people come home and find you. In Jesus' name, amen.